and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bloodthirsters from our bloodletters, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Crumb Barber, and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host, Christopher Crowlin Allen. Yeah, hello there. Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Absolutely fuck all. And my dear brother, Darren. Bonjour, no. <laughs> Who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Dichotomy! Oh, word! Darren, was that a nod to Inglorious Bastards? 100%. (laughs) That is a brilliant one. Bonjourno! I've been doing that for the past couple of days in the morning when, because I usually get up first and then when Vic comes downstairs, she, she goes, morning. I go, bonjour now. And she just kind you're, of sighs at me and goes off and makes a coffee. You're already like <laughs> suited and booted in your like Nazi secret police outfit yeah. <laughs> yeah, at 6.30am. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just yeah. to say that. Just to say and that. She, and, I mean, he's, and he's standing at the bottom of the stairs waiting and she doesn't even break stride. She just walks straight past him. He's like, morning, darling. <laughs> she, do, she doesn't even question that I'm in a, like a white tuxedo with a glass of gin. <laughs> <laughs> Seven o'clock in the morning, love. Come on, is this the state of the marriage? She's just thinking, at least it ain't Bailey's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell. <laughs> right, should we start with some respective grudging? Dar, would you like to go first this time? Would you like to give us a couple of your grudgy highlights? The grudgy highlights, I had Chris down for, well, he knows what he did. Um, <laughs> oh, man, what didn't I do? <laughs> no, he doesn't. No, he fucking doesn't. <laughs> Trust me, he never does. I had Ben for inappropriately breathy laughter. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, huh? yeah, last episode you kept laughing like <sighs> <sighs> Was well, it kind of my my wheezing like <laughs> Well no, it sounded like it's that noise guys make when they dip their balls in really, really hot water. <laughs> or really really uh, cold water uh, oh. no please, let me rephrase that a bath i don't just mean guys are walking around with cups of hot water uh, <laughs> okay i'm putting myself in the book there for lack of clarity yeah right. i'm putting you in the book for painting a really really awful mental image i'm putting you guys in the book just because i feel left out <laughs> I just got this idea that Vic comes down the stairs in the morning, past Darren dressed in a white tuxedo with a glass of gin, and two guys just walking around with their balls in a cup of water. <laughs> Going, ooh, ha, ha, ooh, <laughs> Sounds ha. like a fucking choir downstairs. I didn't realise you'd met Duncan and Scott. <laughs> <laughs> right, Duncan and Scott are going in the fucking book. <laughs> you can't put a pair of testicles in the book. That's just... <laughs> Oh, that's a much different noise. (laughs) 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 Duncan and Scott for teabagging. Literally. And what's weird, one of them's chamomile. (laughs) Naturally decaffeinated. (laughs) Oh, hang on. That should have got a much bigger laugh. You're going in the book. I was too busy writing in the book. Kral, give us a Mm. a couple of grudges. A couple. Argue a couple. Meg, hoovering during recording, the naughty, naughty (sighs) minx. And Ben for failing to tell Meg that they're recording. That is a solid grudge. There you go. Justifiable as well. Um, I, I'm i going to put Crowl in the book. Crowl for stealing Hoover grudge. <laughs> <laughs> because that was a, a major one for me. Which I also was hating on myself for having not told her. I mean, it really was my fault. Um, yeah. Dar for incorrectly grudging. I, I mean, that could be a, a whole host of different things. I, not, mm, not, mm, I can't mm, quite recall. Mm, I mean, I mean, mm. I'd like to argue the point, but you're you're not the first to say it. <laughs> exactly. I've got Amy and Vic in the book from last episode for clearly having Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah. For not knowing what's good for them, i.e., not being with us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you took that further than I would hoped. <laughs> I'm going in the book. I'm going in the book. I'm taking it too far. This is going to be a booky episode. I feel. <laughs> Dar, you um, a few episodes ago suggested trying to apply the three dwarven laws to some of our grudges. Will we give that a shot? 
Yes. Crowl for denying BS. What would that fall under? What's so BS? what were the Sigmar. Before, before Sigmar, Sigmar wasn't it? Oh, yeah. before Sigmar. That would be... So what were the three laws? Remind us. Cowardice, theft, and treason. Cowardice, theft, and treason. Right, okay. Depending on his motivations, either uh, cowardice, because he's too chicken shit to admit that Sigmar existed. Oh. Uh, It's theft. It's probably theft. Theft Mm. of uh, reputation. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Theft of reputation. Denying Ben the... um... Mm. Ah. Though there is, there could be a strong case made, given that it's the high kings that keep the alliance between men and dwarves going, by and large, that it's a, a treasonous act to deny the life of Sigmar, who saved the dwarves. Which is the worst of the three? It's the treason? worst one, yeah. Yeah, so death for Kral. Uh, you went there really quick. Are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> just checking i'm just checking just, just for future reference put down the cleaver <laughs> it's my treason cleaver my treaver my vote would be theft i think I, I robbed you of your integrity of being able to i have no idea god they're so fucking convoluted these places aren't they they really are they really are they could just simplify things so much i'm sure Right, Crow, give us give us a grudge, and Dar can uh, apply a law. Okay, cool. Uh, a different one, from, another one from last week. Ben for picking his feet on camera whilst Darren was talking. <laughs> Gross! I didn't do that. <laughs> he totally did. I'm denying that. <laughs> I probably didn't do that. I mean, it's treason. It, it, it's all fun and games, but now I'm just sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like is this what my beautiful younger brother has resorted to cleaning his feet and he wonders In why public. we're the only one we're the only ones with people who have stockholm syndrome jesus christ <laughs> sort your life out there's no wonder i'm single really is <laughs> you need to go and see a medic might i suggest dr Scholl? Or a paediatrician, considering how much you were picking your feet. Oh, no, 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 no. He he likes them older. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Six out of ten for that one. Six out of ten. I'm going to go theft. Theft, right. For picking his feet on camera whilst Aaron was talking. Go on, explain. He's stealing his own opportunities for greatness. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we could keep going, but let's not. (laughs) But let's not. Um, I have some other crimes because when we talked about the those three laws, we kind of ran a few crimes past you. Would you like to try them with some crimes? Yep, go ahead. Okay, so first crime then: jaywalking. Jaywalking. Where would that sit in the three laws? It can fall into all three. If you're jaywalking away from a battle, that's clearly cowardice. But also it's theft. You're stealing a warrior from the battle. Uh, and I mean, both of those are dependent on the battle being next to a, a road. Yes, but also right. if given that it's curb. a road, the, the underway or something like that, the act of jaywalking could disrupt the flow of goods. Um, so that's possibly theft. And depending on the goods, possibly treason as well. Jesus, complex. Who defined the three laws? I think it was uh, Valia. Oh, drinky muck parent face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beer McBaby face. Um, what about bestiality? I think that's just accepted. If you've read the Gotrick and Felix uh, novels, you know that the dwarves relax using goats. What? <laughs> and they marry their siblings. Yeah. What? They're pretty twisted. Yeah. Is that a spoiler from that from that series? Sorry, let me say that again. What <laughs> dwarves when they're you know out on campaign if they're feeling lonely? Well, fuck a goat! Wow, who? What if there's no goats about? Oh, then it would definitely be theft of someone's asshole. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Um, lollygagging. Uh, probably theft of time okay. from someone. Yeah, either themselves, their family, or whoever their employer is. Okay, nice. Mm. Indecent exposure? Ah, it's not really a crime, is it? 
<laughs> it's a compliment. Come on. Oh, these modern dwarves get so sensitive about things that were just accepted years ago. <laughs> Did you say that like partly as a question? <laughs> That's totally fine, right? Right? No, guys. guys. <laughs> just a, a completely unrelated topic. The camera won't be going down any further than it is now. <laughs> You could just hear a zipping up noise from Darren's mic. Zip. <laughs> Only your family have to see that. And is that decent exposure? I'm not sure. Well, is it, it depends. In-, in the summer, it's fairly decent exposure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, let's move the fuck on. Crowell, you know what time it is? What time is it? Hello, Reichland. It's time for Sarat's Recap. Okay, all right, all right, my time to shine. Episode 20, we continued looking at the time of woes for the poor old dwarves with the fall of many dwarf holds. King Baragor of Karakadrin becomes the first Slayer King. As I recall, he basically chastised himself. Okay. No, it's right. I just wanted to throw it. (laughs) You just just disrupted my flow. Mission accomplished. I'm putting myself in the book, don't worry. Thank you. Uh, King Baragor of Karakadrin becomes the first Slayer King. As I remember, he failed to save his daughter and her entourage. Was it from a dragon or just from some sort of attack? Yeah, 100%. Nice. So that happened, and the holds of Carrick Eight Peaks, Carrick Asgill, and Carrick Draz all fall to the Greenskin and Skaven Menace. Shit was really not going well for the dwarves, was it, at this point? Um, shit just kept going down. Degradation continues until the dwarves come across a potential race of allies dwelling on the surface. Men. Boo. Uh, negotiations were held in a halting fashion, but the opportunity for the dwarves to arm these people against their own enemy is too much to pass up. But once Sigmar frees their high king, the dwarves view them as a steadfast and honorable allies. Yay, Sigmar. And so begins the Silver Age of Dwarves, regaining some of their lost holds, rediscovering the faded arts of rune magic and engineering. And over a few thousand years, the dwarf race grows once more, though it faces not only constant battle with both Skaven and Greenskin, but also the forces of chaos and undeath. They had a really petty situation with the undead, didn't they? They had, The dwarves were after this tiny little brass symbol or something. No, no, it was the other way around. The undead wanted some little brass token, is. which was etched onto a hammer that the dwarves thought, no, <laughs> we haven't. Did you say it was that. a little brass symbol attached to a little monkey that was going clang, 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 clang? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One of those little... Kitty yeah, things, yeah, waving happy. Hello Kitties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of pettiness ensued, and yeah, the undead and the dwarves had some beef for a long time over some little brass coinage or something like that. Was that right, Darren? Some little yes. shitty token when it could have just really yeah. been easily solved, but it wasn't. But it wasn't. But it wasn't. <laughs> but it wasn't. Um, yeah, and that was about it, right? Your move, Darren. Go on. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> What's up with that? And now we enter the end game. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you for that, Kral. <laughs> Thank you for that massive anticlimax. Uh, I think I prefer it when you fuck it up, mate. <laughs> I know, it's much funner, isn't it? Funnerer. Darren, would you like to give us some direction? Nope. Um, <laughs> please. Okay. Last month, we left the dwarves in the kind of post-Great War of Chaos phase, where King Alrickson had returned from the relief of Prague, or the relief of Kislev as a country, which we will cover in kind of more depth when we do the Empire. But the, the potted history is, there was the first Great Chaos invasion of the Empire, was pretty much stopped at Kislev by a combined force of the Kislevites, who are the Polish-slash-Russians of the Warhammer world, contingent of dwarves under the leadership of hiking the force of Magnus the Pious, the relief force of Magnus the Pious, who went on to become the Emperor, and the literal handful of High Elves that joined the fray, including the two High Elves that helped establish the Colleges of Magic. And really what we're looking at is a period of about 200 years before present in Warhammer. 
So the colleges of magic, they've existed for a blink of an eye, really. So after the relief of the state of Prague, King Alrickson left some commanders and generals in north to regain contact and to shore up the defences. And he himself and the vast majority of his forces returned to Karazakarak. He didn't return unaffected. He had been grievously wounded. Um, Tromboned. Trombone. <laughs> <laughs> well, re- really, given the stature of a dwarf, it's more a French horning. <laughs> <laughs> a cornetting. Which is basically the equivalent of, like, blunderbussing him. <laughs> Just stick him in the head. <laughs> Boop! <laughs> Boom! <laughs> <laughs> Ah, good old rusty blunderbuss. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so even though he had been in the heart of the battle, the heart of the siege, he was on his throne of power, you know, the great battle sled of the dwarves with the Gamma's Kron with him as well, the great book of grudges. He was swinging his axe left, right and center. He was still struck several times by chaos warriors and other evil foes. So returning to Karazakarak, he... Hold on, I, sorry, I have one question. We spoke about the Book of Grudges being potentially stolen before, and you said yeah. that he did take it out on the, the battle sledge. By the way, yeah. that's a ridiculous concept, love it. You said that it would be absolutely like surrounded by loads of dwarves, and to get to it, you'd have to like get through all of them. So you're saying yeah. that he was still injured on that thing, despite all the dwarves being around him? Well, yeah, because the Chaos Forces had cut through the dwarves and had gotten to him. Um, There's like one one example was a relief force. Uh, When the cavalry advance of Magnus's Imperial Knights got to the site of Prague, got to the siege, it gave the defenders a great deal of hope. And there was a contingent of 300 dwarves sallied out to try and cut a path or to at least reduce the distance the knights would need to cut through to get to them and thus relieve the city and of those 300 dwarves that sallied out about seven returned so yeah they're they're you know the chaos warriors the chaos forces are no joke Mm. and the the chaos forces outnumbered the defenders you know 12 15 to 1 mr chris of the 300 dwarves seven returned yes from this big epic battle yeah would they be labelled as cowards because they retreated and didn't die in battle of a, a glorious death? Uh, no, because if they had simply wasted their lives, then they're stealing warriors from the High King. And they would have been killed. Yeah, dwarves are eminently practical. So if something isn't working, they'll stop and try something else. It's not cowardice. It's, no. Retreat doesn't mean cowardice. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. I mean, if they kept retreating, even through the city, out the other side, and away <laughs> over the hills, <laughs> hard to justify that as a tactical maneuver. The line between retreating and just running away is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <defined>. yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, King Alrickson is back in Karazakarak and he's in his cups, he's getting hammered all the time, as is the dwarves want. But he's reflecting on the kind of paltry state of the dwarven forces that were there. So really, he focuses his attention on three facts. The first is that the other holds, when he called for dwarf warriors to march to the relief of, you know, Sigmar's heirs and to stop the forces of chaos in their tracks, every hold responded and sent warriors, but nowhere near as many warriors as they would have historically sent because a lot of them had the second point is that each stronghold, each hold of dwarves has now become preoccupied with its own problems, with its own issues and its own kind of state of defense. You have to remember that almost the entire dwarven empire is under siege from greenskins Mm. and from the forces of chaos in the north, greenskins from the east and skaven from the west, most of which occur below. So, you know, if you took a gyrocopter and flew over the World's Edge Mountains, you would see maybe one or two surface battles, but most of the battles are happening underground uh, in real life or death struggles. 
Would the Chaos armies fight the dwarves underground as well, or would they be predominantly overground or on the ground? I think it w- it would be predominantly overground, though it would you know they they wouldn't shy away from an opportunity to stick it to the dwarves underneath and go wombling free. Hashtag mm. not a euphemism. Um, <laughs> but he was more worried that the kings of these strongholds, the kings and thanes, the leaders, had fallen into what's called the gold sickness, which is. I think if you've seen the third episode of The Hobbit, where Thorin goes kind of super crazy gold guy, uh, mm. it's that. They descend into isolationism and greed and madness, really, and effectively starve themselves to death while sitting on all the gold in the world. So he was concerned that there was an issue of leadership in a lot of the holes. And finally, he himself knew he was dying. The wounds he'd received from chaos weapons had infected all the dwarf healing magic and all the beer in the world wasn't going to stop that from happening. So really what he needed to do is come up with a successor who could unite the dwarven holds. And while maybe returning to the glory of their past was now an impossibility, they could at least go out with you know dwarven honor, uh, an axe and a flagon in their hand. Sometimes even the same hand. Um, (laughs) So he called for a council of kings, which had had not happened since the year 2000, which is when the Warpstone Comet hit Mordheim. And so every stronghold that still existed that was in the Dwarven realm, either the king went themselves or a trusted ambassador went. There was serious and weighty embassies and ambassadors were sent to the king's council because this was a huge undertaking. A lot of egos in that room. Oh, yeah. Big players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Great Hall had hundreds of dwarves in it around massive ironbark, ironwood tables, and each in turn renewed their oaths of fealty to the High King. It was a weighty and serious kind of affair. Ericsson stood up, announced that he was going to pass, well, gas. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That is why I've called you here. Now, fuck off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And that was the first of the great dwarf practical jokes. Uh, It cost thousands of warriors their lives, but everyone laughed. Um, That's what counts. And that's what counts. Um, But he said he would select his successor within one year. And in that year, anyone who was eligible, and and in reality, that's any lord of a hold, so a king or a thane, would be eligible to become his successor. But the caveat was they had to have done the most saga-worthy deeds in that year. So what he was trying to do was reignite the passion that dwarves have for their traditions, especially in their leadership. And obviously in that world as well as our own world, leadership makes a huge difference. So an inspired leader who looks to tradition and regaining the glories of past glories. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Words. Glory, glories. Glory, glories. Really the whole of the glory, a kind of glory whole. So the plan was accepted by everyone who saw this as an inspired stroke of genius. And they all, you know, I mean, we've already said it, they all fucked off. Um, And they all returned to their holds. There was some great deeds and traditions were observed. uh, And everyone kind of held the High King in great regard because this was a very traditionally dwarven solution to an aggressive problem. And thus, it was a kind of year of great deeds. Questions? Can you give us an example of any of the deeds? I'm about to. You pushy <laughs> bastard. They managed to bring the shopping in from the car in one move without returning. Just grabbed all the bags in both hands. <laughs> <laughs> Took it to the front door, didn't even need to go back. That is Boom. an that is an average deed for any man in the world and most women in Scotland. Ah, uh, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> is it bollocks? It's amazing. With these small hands. <laughs> these small hands. <laughs> I really want to but see I bet you things. play the fuck out of a flute, though, don't you? <laughs> Aqualung. Aqualung. 
<laughs> if you were going to go on to describe the deeds, it seems like an inopportune time to ask us to ask any questions. Now get on with it. Me, 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 dichotomy. Me, 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 me. I had a promising career as a miner until an unfortunate trouser malfunction led my employer to accuse me of theft of his peace of mind. I better call tall. I was out partying with the lads minding my own business when I was accused of treason because I hadn't drank enough. I better call tall. I was an honourable member of Thorgrim's own guard until I was accused of cowardice for overshooting our retreat by a mere 17 miles. I better call Tall. Hi, I'm Tall Goldmine. Have you recently found yourself in a legal pickle? Are you being accused of breaking one of our three laws in a laughably convoluted way? Well, then he stand for it. You have rights, albeit very few. And that's why I fight for you, Karazankor! Better call Tall. A year passes. You'll be delighted to hear this, Ben. A year passes, and we'll race now into some of the deeds. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) The year passes, they reconvene in the Great Hall. The very first thing they do, after swearing oaths of fealty once again to the High King, is they crack open the Great Book of Grudges, and they enter in grudges on behalf of three of the Dwarven Kings. Two who had died and one who was missing, presumed dead. It doesn't really specify whether these grudges were on their behalf or against them. Oh. As in, oh. I'm putting you in the book because you died, you prick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Boom. So anyway, you can imagine... I didn't know that ca- you could do that. I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> king for dying. So you can imagine the hall is just echoing with booming laughter and raucous shouts and insults. Certainly, once the claimants start regaling the hall with their deeds, you get the kind of the boos and yays from their various supporters and opponents. So each claimant climbs onto the dais, a word I knew before today, and turned to face (laughs) the the assembled dwarves. So it was really opened up with Ungram Ierfist, who is the latest Slayer King of Karak Kadron. And he told the tale of how he stalked down what was believed to be the largest giant in all of Warhammer and killed it single-handedly. And so, as evidence to this, the severed head of the the giant was dragged into the hall and it took 20 dwarves to do it. It was fucking (laughs) enormous. Holy smokes. Um, Amazing. And so dwarf after dwarf began getting up and retelling the their deeds. So it's things like unifying a fractious hold, slaying a, a longtime dwarven enemy like a, an orc or a skaven warlord, deeds that strike the really powerful, strong ancestral grudges from the Great Brook of Grudges. Those are really the only ones that matter at this time. Things like in the northern half of the Dwarven Empire, issuing the use of gunpowder weapons and modern artillery and gyrocopters would be a kind of callback to the traditional values of dwarves. It's that kind of idea. Reinstating old traditions and old ways of doing things. Being more dwarfy. Yeah. Getting your dwarf on. Yeah, getting, yeah, yeah. getting your dwarf on. Um, I, I suspect deeds like a powerful leader worked his way through an enormous horde of goats. It's that kind of thing. The, re, the kind of you know, revelatory items we've discovered today. You know, successfully it, it, mated with a goat. <laughs> a goat dwarf centaur. <laughs> a, a dwarf tour. A goat tour. I don't know. A goat tour. Given a dwarf's demeanour, would that technically be a billy goat gruff? <laughs> that shouldn't go... A billy that, goat grudge. That should... <laughs> okay, I was going to be scathing, but that was pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> ben Crumbarber, I'll be here all day. <laughs> he will. He's got nowhere to go. Look at him, the poor scrap. <laughs> um, <laughs> the King Angrund, who was the deposed king, of Karak Eight Peaks got up and tried to make his bid for 
power. And he was seen as quite a strong contender because historically the high king and the throne had been at Carrick Eight Peaks, which, if we'll all recall, is the realm of Scarsneck at the minute. So it was, you know, king after king, leader after leader made their kind of bid. And eventually King Alrickson shushed the hall. He kind of called for silence. And he was just about to make his pronouncement when the missing king, the king who had been entered in the Book of Grudges, I was going to say waltzed into the uh, skipped into the hall, <laughs> Skip. gambled. He gambled into the hall, riding a goat. <laughs> oh, oh my God! Um, and this, of course, he's described as King Alrickson's sister's son or nephew, Thorgrim Grudgebearer. <sighs> Straight into the hall, and with him, he brought a thing that had not happened even longer than there'd been a call for the Council of Kings. He brought envoys and kings from the Norse dwarves. So what had happened wow. was he he was the one of the generals that was left behind in Kislev to kind of shore up the defences, and then he checked in on all the dwarves. He'd received a runner with the information that this contest was happening, and he absolutely went hog-wild, no pun intended, for <laughs> goat traditions. Goat he went wild. goat crazy. <laughs> wow! <laughs> <laughs> so, in each of the Norse dwarves, each of the Norse kings in turn spoke about his greatness of qualities and, and so forth so he had witnesses for his various deeds and then they started to talk about how he had not only recaptured some smaller lost holes but had recovered uh, enormous quantities of treasure and magical items and handed several of these lost relics to the runesmiths that were in the hall including Crag the Grim, if we recall, he's the eldest dwarf. He's the oldest dwarf mm. living at the minute, at over 1,600 mm. years old. And some of these items had runes etched in them that uh, Crag the Grim had only heard of as legend. So these wow. were, you know, weighty, ancestral, important items for dwarves. And other things such as the golden scepter of Norgrim, which was the kind of symbol of kingship of Karak Azul, which is the most southerly dwarven hold. And he also had the remnants of the fabled crown of Karak Draz, which is currently the orc fortress of Black Crag. So he's returning these ancestral symbols of leadership to the dwarves. He's really a hundred percenting the situation, isn't he? he really <laughs> He's not going is. in there it's just kind of... to do the main mission. He's going doing all the little side missions, all the little <laughs> B missions. <laughs> Fucking all right, yeah. platinum trophy. Oh yeah, for that dude, sledgehammer yeah. to crack yeah. a nut. Yeah, yeah, man. It's at this stage that Thorgrim gets to the dais himself, and he launches into this almost semi-religious speech about the value of tradition and what it means to be a dwarf and how he'll lead dwarves to a resurgence of power and honor. And he says he personally pledges in front of everyone that during his reign, the dwarves will strike every single grudge from the Great Book of Grudges. There will be no grudges left. Everything will be avenged. What a manifesto. Yeah, it's quite, yeah. How long do you think that lasted after you were brought into power? <laughs> I'm going to lower taxes. There's going to be no grudges. And yeah. <laughs> uh, two weeks later, he was caught swindling funds out of the expenses account <laughs> on goats. On go <laughs> He's just caught in a hotel with goats and cocaine. <laughs> Thorgrim goat bugger, yeah. Him, him and Boris the Gold Gatherer just getting on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. It's a little known fact that in Warhammer, dwarven relationships with goats in the high pastures, that was how yodeling was invented. <laughs> <laughs> by, the, by the goat. Yeah, is it is it uh, reciprocal? No. Are the goats are the goats into dwarves as much as dwarves are into goats? They they don't really get an opportunity to run, Chris, because the dwarves put the goats' back legs in their boots. You've done, this isn't your first rodeo, is it, Ben? 
Well, Scottish. We're very, very serious about sheep shagging up there. Yeah, it's his first goat rodeo. <laughs> yeah. Never tried goat, though. <laughs> he finishes his speech. The hall is electrified, not literally, uh, as the <laughs> dwarves launch. <laughs> For absolutely no reason whatsoever, they pumped 240 volts into the hall. (laughs) (laughs) If that was true, it would have looked like a really angry game of (laughs) whack-a-mole. <laughs> I don't know why that struck me as so funny. Oh, I'm sweating. I'm sweating. Oh. If you're not laughing to this, listeners, please unsubscribe. <laughs> you're listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> so, Thorgrim gets the fucking crowd going. He pulls a Freddie Mercury. Hey, oh. <laughs> Get some really pumped up. <laughs> so with his impassioned speech, Thorgrim really kind of captures the imagination of the Dwarven Lords and the selection of him as the successor by King Alrickson really is a formality because he's been kind of selected by assent. They want him to be their king. And so he is. Uh, he is named the successor and unfortunately... Within a few months, King Alrickson passes, finally succumbing to his wounds, showering himself once again with honour. Very careful there, because I was like, pissed myself <laughs> laughing. Um, <laughs> and because he was thus viewed as having held on to that most powerful of dwarven traditions, not dying until your work is done. So it, he was viewed well as... done. Yeah, nice. he'd managed to survive long enough to name a worthy successor, and not only a worthy successor, but one that was done in such a fashion as to reignite the traditional passions of dwarves, the traditional loves that dwarves have for kind of sagas and great deeds and having renown sprinkled upon their name. Mr. Ben. He was called Thorgrim Grudgebearer when he arrived at the hall. Was, was that a family name? No, he was called just Thorgrim. He got the grudge bearer appellation when he decided he was going to wipe all the grudges from the Great Book of Grudges. Gotcha. So when he arrived at the hall, he was just Thorgrim. It was Thorgrim, uh, Thorgrim Smith. Smith. <laughs> Thorgrim so, Jones. Damn it, I was going to say exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> so his very first act when he was crowned, he knew he had energized everyone uh, with this kind of idea. <laughs> don't. Don't. Sorry. I mean, he, he really wanted the Dwarven Empire to be ever ready for... That was a battery joke. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. That was, that was good. That was good. <laughs> Dwarves throughout the world are renowned for their seriousness and steadfastness in the face of overwhelming odds. But not me, I'm Rusty Danglesack, of Danglesack Dwarven Joke Emporium at the best and only joke shop in Karakankor. We've got it all, from inflatable goats to rubber axes, from warp dust snuff to the great book of goodwill. We have an item for every occasion. The local longbeard got you down, why not ignite the fun and teach that grumpy fucker a lesson with flame breath tobacco? The local runesmith boasting about his latest grudge thrower? Bring him down to earth with rubber rune boulders. <laughs> I can also announce a restock of the ever popular electrified feasting benches. Keep your listeners awake with a jolt. That's Rusty Danglesack of Danglesack's Dwarven Joke Emporium, the best and only joke shop in Karakankor. Spit in the eye of tradition. Understanding that he had kind of energized the Dwarven Empire and wanting to keep the momentum going in terms of great deeds, not just for himself, but for dwarves in general to be proud of, to see that 
they're heading in the right direction after millennia of woes and problems that had beset them. So the very first thing he decides to do is he is going to clear and secure Skyscraper Pass, Blackfire Pass, Ben. Um, Holy So that would not only secure regular trade routes with the Empire, obviously their closest ally, but would also allow them to move forces and trade with other holes within the Dwarven Empire that were cut off due to the underway being destroyed or disrupted in and around those Dwarven holes. Were there any, you know, horizontal skyscrapers in Blackfire Pass at the time? Or was this pre-skyscraper? Yes, there was fortresses and castles, bastions, holes, other words that mean the same thing. By the sounds of it, there were actual skyscrapers. Well, in ruins, you know, Mm. it it had been a battlefield for, geez, over 7,000 years. It was the main pass between two huge sections of the world. So communicating with his counterpart, King Alric Ranulfson of Carrick Hirin, which is down in the south, Thorgrim got his forces to stalk around from the north, and they effectively did a double tromboning of the orcs in the middle. <laughs> uh, and absolutely, A DT. A DT. Uh, they absolutely decimated the Greenskin forces there, uh, securing Blackfire Pass, Really, to this day, that is not to say there have not been battles with uh, Greenskins and other races trying to invade, but it's much more secure for, in quotes, the forces of order, the dwarves and the humans. Uh, Mm. So there are contingents of imperial troops there, as well as dwarves, keeping the trade route open and going. So this renewed the promise of friendship between the dwarves and the empire, the followers of Sigmar. And really, several of the great grudges that the dwarves had against the Greenskins, revolving around the kind of comings and goings of Blackfire Pass, were able to be struck from the Great Book of Grudges. So he was, you know, he's not one of these politicians that campaigns in poetry and then governs in prose. He was actually able to deliver. He is the Ron Seal King of Dwarves. He <laughs> absolutely, he did what he said he would do. Amazing. Struck all the grudges from the book. That's what he did. That were related to Blackfire Pass and certain orc oh. tribes or goblin tribes right, there. Right, right, so it's, right, yeah, he, yeah. he struck some of them from there. But to be able to strike one per century is a rare enough occurrence for the Great yeah. Book of Grudges because they are, as we've said before, the Supreme Court of Grudging. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. So wanting to shore up his friendship and partnership with the former kings of Karak Eight Peaks, he then commits to recapturing Karakate Peaks, which is obviously where Skarsnik and the very heterosexual Baxter boys live or <laughs> occupy. Mm-hmm. And so he contacts not only King Belagar, but also Thoric Ironbrow, who was the master runesmith of Karakazul, again, the southernmost dwarven hold. Now, Ironbrow is the one who has the Anvil of Doom. So in miniature, it looks like a huge dwarf who stands on a kind of magic circle or a rune-carved stone circle that has a huge grommel anvil in the middle. And he hammers out what's called the Rune of Doom, which is not at all, you know, <laughs> like a uh, fucking shit cheesy. wrestling setup. Is, yeah. The Anvil <laughs> of Doom is like a finisher. Yeah. Oh my god, he's pulling out the rune of doom. The rune of doom. (laughs) Say doom again. (laughs) The doom of doom. (laughs) Doomy, doomy, doom, doom. (laughs) Doomy, doomy. (laughs) He's doomed. So uh, Karakazul instantly goes into weapons production mode because they want all the dwarves to have the best equipment, the best armor they can. And then Thoric Ironbrow joins the force as they head towards Karak Eight Peaks. Um, With the improved weapons, they're instantly able to get a solid foothold in the upper reaches of Karak Eight Peaks in two of the peaks of the Eight Peaks. Uh, And they begin to fortify their positions because there are easily half a million night goblins and three times as many skaven in the lower depths of the hold. So it's almost room by room they're clearing out the greenskins from the upper reaches 
and Skarsnik, in the space of three days, loses something like 60,000 night goblins in battle trying to stop these dwarves from getting into their ancestral homes. It might be uh, worthwhile to mention that the Rune of Doom, while it is an amusing sounding item, if Ironbrow strikes it a certain number of times, it manifests what look like ghostly dwarven warriors, but they're not actually ghostly dwarven warriors. They're a manifestation of the anger that living dwarves have over the loss of their heritage. So wow. it's very much like the army of the dead from um, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and yeah. so you have living dwarves fighting alongside their own anger manifested as That's another amazing kind of grumpy dwarf. Um, their own grudges. So, yeah. Grudge manifested dwarf. grudges. Yeah. Grudge, Grudge ghosts. ghosts. Called it. Called it. Grudge <laughs> ghosts. Nice. TM. <laughs> so you can imagine this hold echoing with the sounds of battle, but also with the kind of battle hymns of the dwarves as they reclaim their ancestral home. Um, I'd love to hear a battle hymn. <laughs> love to hear one of those. It can't be the same as, you know, like a, a primary school hymns. I'm sure it's a lot more. Got a lot more gumption behind it. Yeah. If I had a hammer, <laughs> I'd hammer in the mud. That would be a good, that would be appropriate. That'd work. I only know one, which is cunt by ah. <laughs> cunt by ah, my lord. I was, I was impressed. I thought you were going to go the Gregorian chant route with that one, Kral. <laughs> you love a bit of Gregorian uh, chant, don't you, mate? I love it. I do. I do. I love a Gregorian chant, but no, not today. I thought you'd definitely have gone with Mongolian throat singing. (laughs) No, I can't do that. That's offensive to Mongolian throat singers. That's more Tibetan gargling. As I said, they're... uh... It's a great name for a mouthwash, that. (laughs) Is that a goat? I don't know. Um... So as I said there, there was fifty to 60,000 night goblins killed in the first few days of the battle, which is something that you don't really think about in Warhammer. Given that there's so much war and conflict, what did they do with the bodies? Yeah. Right. Burn them? Maybe. I mean, how many goats were around at the time? Maybe, you know, <laughs> they improvised. <laughs> Moving on. Um <laughs> <laughs> So Skarsnik saw that the the full frontal assault would not work and withdrew to look at his options and see if there was a more convoluted, clever way of doing this. While that was happening, the Skaven were not uninvolved. The Skaven there belonged to Clan Moors. And if we'll recall that the leader, the warlord there is Queek Headtaker, a Skaven warlord who probably has more grudges in the book than any other Skaven. He has a weapon called a dwarf pick, which he uses to literally pick a dwarf out of his armor and kill them. Wow. And he has a back banner, several poles coming out of the armor on his back that has the skulls and magic talismans of famous dwarf warriors. He cannot stand dwarves. Holy shit. And he sees what's happening and understands this is an opportunity for him not only to deal some death to some dwarves, but also to seize more ground from Skarsnik. So he assembles thousands of packs of storm vermin and clan rats and just effectively uses them as a file. So he just grinds the goblins against the dwarves in a very non-sexy way. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> Just a whole haul of dry humping. <laughs> uh, and that's been effectively the stalemate there since that time. The dwarves are fighting both the night goblins and the skaven. The skaven are utterly slaughtering night goblins and then when they get a chance are taking out a few dwarves. So there is a continuous siege there for decades since that has started. But the good news is, very slowly, the dwarves are gaining more ground. And what they're doing is they're re-fortifying any position they take, sealing up any cracks with whatever the dwarven equivalent of polyfilla is, uh, and (laughs) bringing trade back into Karakate Peaks. 
to bring in families and clans back in so they have a sizable dwarven population. So this age of reckoning, which is what the current age, the age that Thorgrim Grudgebearer heralded, uh, is an ongoing event. Uh, and while they have had some defeats, the dwarves really are resurging and the glories of tradition, the glories of millennia past are starting to be regained. Uh, and dwarven pride is on a rise. Uh, and that really is where we draw a veil on the timeline and history of our dwarven friends. Awesome. Oh, man. Like, even after the time of woes, it was a pretty bad struggle for the dwarves. Like you say, yeah. these guys have been under a lot of pressure and had to really sort out some shit, right? Oh, <laughs> Internally, 100%. externally. Stuff was happening. <laughs> things things had to happening. be done. <laughs> Shit was going down. Vague things happened. <laughs> Is this next episode's recap already? <laughs> Stuff happened. <laughs> things went uh, awry. When you say that um, Karakapis has these three warring races in it in, in present day, I'm assuming that that's used as a setting for the tabletop games. Do you think that's why Games Workshop have done it? They've set up a setting in which battles between dwarves, Skaven, and, and Night Goblin armies can be done on tabletop or on video games or something like that. Yeah, I mean, to use Games Workshop's own phrase, it's forging a narrative. It's giving right. you a set, yeah, a, exactly, a setting, background setting that makes logical sense for the battles that you're fighting on the tabletop. But right. to be fair, they've created an entire world, so you can pretty much justify anything. Um, right, right, right. On the table, on the tabletop, on the tabletop. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, the Games Workshop said I could. <laughs> <laughs> right, shall I, um, shall I wrap up? Wrap up. All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about the topics we've discussed in this podcast, you can find all the reference articles in the show notes or on our website at layingdownthelore.com. We also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. Big thank you to all our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do this without you guys. You cover our costs and allow us to spend more time planning content and scripting those ridiculous adverts, not to mention the moral support that we so desperately need. If you're not part of this merry band, you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and you want to support the podcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash laying down the lore and sign up today. This will give you access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus series, Chunks of Dar, a bi-monthly informal deep dive into the topics discussed in the main podcast, in which Kral and I essentially interrogate Dar. You'll also gain access to our Discord server, which is pretty much Warhammer Banner 24-7 with the three of us and our growing posse of lovely time wasters. We'll be back again next month displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, ta-ta. See ya. Farewell, goat humpers.